All right. How's everybody doing? Good. Yeah. Great to see you. Okay. Now, as we begin, I need to tell you, it's probably the most disgusting story you're ever going to hear. If you've been around Calvary for a while, you've heard this story. Laugh in all the appropriate spots. Those of you who have never heard this story before, it's the first time I'm telling it. Okay? So, but no, seriously. uh, I had a... Now, the story will repulse you. It will disgust you. But the whole story is true. All right. Now, I have a friend in high school, good friend of mine. We still keep in touch now and again, who had a problem. Um, The guy couldn't really hear very well. But it wasn't like a physical thing. It was the fact that he had basically like two Yankee candles growing out of his ears. Uh, he had such a problem with earwax. The guy couldn't hear anything. And he's a good friend of mine. He lived across the street from me. We went to high school together. But the guy couldn't hear anything. In fact, when I first met my wife, Carrie, and we started dating, for the first six months, he called her Corey. And he's like, uh, hey, so how's Corey doing? I'm like, her name is Carrie. And he's like, that's what I said. No, you said Corey. Her name is Carrie. And he's like, I don't hear a difference. Well, there's a difference. You just can't. Anyway, so, but he would call people, people the wrong names. He would call movies by the wrong names. Well, one day we're going out and uh, my friend Al, who's probably my best friend in high school, uh, we were, there's a five, about five of us that were going out and he had a Camaro. Now, back in the day, if I can employ that, back in the day when you had a Camaro, you drove. I had a 1982 Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. I never drove. He drove. So my friend Al is in the front seat driving. We're getting ready to leave. My friend Drew um, is in the, he's riding shotgun. I am sitting in the back seat behind the, uh, behind the passenger. I'm sitting behind Drew. My friend in the middle, who's going to remain nameless, um, he's there. And then my friend Jordy is on the other side behind the driver. And so anyway, so I turn to my friend and I'm like, hey, you know, and I'm talking about where we're going to go. And I say something to him and he doesn't respond. I'm like, dude, and I'm but I'm talking like directly into his ear. It's not like, you know, well, you were 100 yards away. I'm speaking directly into his ear because he's looking straight. I turn and say something to him like, dude. And he turns like, what? I'm like, I've been talking to you for the last 30 seconds. It's like, I didn't hear it. And I just said, that's it. And my friend Al was getting ready to pull out. I said, Al, I need you to put the car in park. I need you to go inside your house and I need a handful of Q-tips and I need a bottle of rubbing alcohol stat. So he goes in, he gets me like a box of Q-tips and a bottle of rubbing alcohol. That's like this. And I'm like, dude, what do you, who buys a bottle of rubbing alcohol this big? Unless you're planning on cleaning up a murder scene. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but he gets, um, he gives me this thing and I start going in. And just cleaning this guy's ears. By the way, if you ever want to know what the definition of friendship is, that's it. Okay? All right. So I'm like, I'm going for it. Cleaning this guy's ears. Everybody is just freaking out in the car. My friend Jordy opens the door and vomits on the driveway. He can't handle it. I'm like, dude, you've been playing guitar in Marilyn Manson for now 20 years. He still can't handle that story. And uh, anyway, so, uh, so he throws up. And then, and I still... Uh, And I'm going for 20 Q-tips get used in this process. But they were clean after. That guy, after I cleaned his ears, could hear a pin drop two counties away. It was incredible. 
what that guy could hear. And, you know, it's amazing to me because we don't realize. And sometimes either something's blocking us from hearing what we should or sometimes we're blocking it ourselves. I learned that when, with, with my oldest daughter, Mia. Uh, if you don't know, I have, uh, I have three kids. My oldest daughter, Mia, is six and a half. My son, Xander, just turned four years old on Monday. So if you see him around, wish him a happy birthday. And, um, and then my, my youngest daughter is uh, Olivia, who's 18 months. And uh, anyway, I'll tell you a little more about her some other time. But she's pretty much bent on destruction. That's pretty much her, her, her style of life. Anyway, but uh, my, uh, my oldest daughter, Mia, when she was about three, um, we would tell her to do stuff. And I remember one day in particular, we were telling her to do something. And she just starts walking away. And I'm like, Mia, I want you to do this. And she just goes like this. She plugs her ears and starts singing a song and walks away. And then, and I'm thinking like, dude, are you serious? So I say under my breath to my wife. And I'm like, you want some M&Ms? I'm in such a mood for M&Ms. She turns around. She goes, did somebody say M&Ms? And I'm like, you could hear me, you little rebel. And, uh. And so, but that's the thing. And, and listen, sometimes this is so huge is that sometimes, listen, there is either something blocking us from hearing what we should hear, or sometimes we're covering our ears and missing out the truths of God that we need to hear in our lives. And listen, I have learned that sometimes it's the simple truths that we need to be reminded of. It's the simple truths we need to be reminded of. That's why I'm, I'm constantly telling my kids I love them. If you're a parent, you're constantly telling your kids you love them because the last thing you want is for somebody else. Does your mommy and Bobby love you? Well, my, my dad told me, he told me one time he loved me. I think it was the, right before Obama got elected the first time. I think that's when he told me he loved me. No, no, no. I want it to be like, you know, yeah, listen, it's like a love fest in this house. You know what I mean? He's constantly telling me he loves me. And that, that, that's what I, that's what I want. Because I don't want them to have to remember too far back. And listen, that's what God does for us in the Psalms. The Psalms, for the most part, aren't the, aren't the place where you're going to find, like, theological truths you've never heard before. That's not really the, the, the role of the Psalms. Instead, the Psalms are the place where we are reminded of the important truths that we have a tendency to forget. So a couple of weeks ago, we started this series that we're calling Songs of the Kingdom. And we're working our way through different Psalms, uh, through, the, through the, the book of Psalms. And one of the questions that we've been asking, the thing we've been asking each and every week of ourselves as we work through these Psalms is, what do you want the song of your life to be? Because whether you realize it or not, your life is a song. It's got a melody. It's got a verse. It's got a chorus. It's got a bridge. It's got all this. It's not, is, is my life a song? No, you got, the question you have to answer is, is my life a good song or is it a bad song? But it's a song nonetheless. And my prayer is that people would come into contact with us, that they would experience in our lives the song that God is writing through us, and that we would live the kind of life where people would look on and say, that's the kind of life I want to live. That's the kind of song that I want my life to be. And that's why the psalm that we're going to look at today, Psalm 34. So if you have your Bible, if you could open to Psalm 34, if you have your phone app or whatever, open to Psalm 34, that's where we're going to be. It's one of the most important psalms as far as I'm concerned because it's a psalm that calls us to open our ears and remember the simple truths of God. Because listen, when a person begins to lose hope, it's usually because they've forgotten something about God that's true. When a person decides that they're going to step out on their own, tackle everything by themselves, it's usually because they've forgotten something about God that's true. 
When a person allows negativity and doubt and all that kind of stuff to fill their heart, it's usually because they've forgotten something about God that's true. And my goal today is to help each of us remember the things about God that are true, the things that will guide us in our lives, that will guide the decisions that we make if we choose to keep them close to us. So I'm going to invite you. It's Psalm 34 that we're going to start in, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And they looked at him and were radiant. And their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. And saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around, uh, all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three truths I want to remind you of in our time together. And here's the first one. It's one of the most simple truths you can learn. And that is this, that I want you to remember that God is good. I want you to remember that God is good. Now, as we get started, I have to give you the setting for this psalm. Now, the thing about the psalm, and I told you this, if you've been with us since we started this series, and if you haven't, I'll give you the the cliff notes, is that one of the things about the psalms is that um, they'll give us kind of the feeling of what the, the psalmist was feeling during a particular season of life. So this particular psalm was written when David was experiencing something in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21. I'm going to tell you that story in a moment. But what we're going to learn from the psalm is... First Samuel is going to tell us what happened. The psalm is going to tell us what David was feeling during, during that time. Now, here's what was happening in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, if you remember, if I can go back a little further than that, God, through the prophet Samuel, Samuel goes to David's father's house, whose name is Jesse, and anoints David to be king. And then after he anoints David to be king, David goes back to the field where he is a shepherd keeping the sheep. Then, because remember, there's already a king in Israel named Saul. Then in the next chapter, chapter 17, David kills Goliath. And that propels David to the national spotlight. And David becomes the champion of Israel. And there's a song that everybody sings that Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And so Saul's not real happy about the fact that he's getting better press coverage than uh, than, than Saul is. And so, and, and so now there's this understanding that David is the one that's anointed and called to be king. But there's already a king. So Saul makes it his goal in life to kill David. And so David is now on the run from Saul. And he goes outside of Jerusalem to a city called Nob. And there at Nob, he meets up with the priest, uh, a guy by the name of Abimelech. And he says, do you have any food? He gives him some bread. And then he says, and then he, he lies to the priest and tells him, hey, I'm on this, uh, you know, I'm on this mission from the king. And uh, I was in such a haste to leave that I forgot to take my sword. Can you hook me up with a sword? And he says, well, we've only got one sword here. And it happens to be the sword of Goliath, the dude that you killed. And he says, so if you want it, you can have it. He says, oh, great, thanks. So then he takes that. That sword leaves Nob and goes to a city called Gath. Now, Gath is, um, there were five major cities that were ruled by the Philistines, which were the arch nemeses of, uh, of Israel. And Gath was one of those cities. And so he goes into the area of the Philistines. I want you to picture what's happening here. David is on the run from Saul. He's running from Saul. So he leaves the country. 
He goes to the Philistine land, Philistine country. He goes to Gath. What he's maybe not thinking about is Goliath was from Gath. Goliath was their champion. He was their national hero. Okay? And so he then, he's killed. Uh, He killed Goliath. Everybody knows that. Not only that, he's carrying Goliath's sword around. So he's not going to be the most popular guy in Gath at that moment. And I'd never experienced anything exactly like that, but I did experience something kind of like that when I went to Chicago in 2004. Now, I'm a big fan of the city of Chicago, but um, and I, when I was there the first time in 2004, I went to a Cubs game. And uh, there is really uh, few places in the world like Wrigley Field, or what are called the friendly confines of, of Wrigley Field. It's a great place to see a baseball game. And uh, this was right after the, uh, Marlin, the Marlins had won the World Series in 2003. And so I'm there. Uh, I'm there hanging out. Well, let me go back a little bit because some of you don't remember this, but some of you might remember in 2003, the uh, Marlins were playing the Cubs in the National League Championship Series. The Cubs were up three games to two. They were winning three game. They were winning three to nothing in game six when um, they, they are, there's one out in the eighth inning and there's a pop-up uh, in short, um, short left field. And then this happens. You see this picture. Some of you remember that guy's name is Steve Bartman. That there is a there is a uh, bounty on his head in Chicago to this day, and uh, he reaches out and catches that ball instead of letting their outfielder, which is, his name is Moisa Salu, um, catch that. And so he doesn't catch it. That uh, Steve Bartman catches that foul ball. He reaches over and grabs it. The Marlins go on to score six unanswered runs. They win Game Six. They win Game Seven, and then they end up going to the World Series and beating the Yankees because we know that pleases God. And um, when the Yankees lose. And so, so I get there in 2004, the 2004 season is going on. And then they, and so I'm, I, I get tickets, um, and I'm sitting behind home plate and someone asks me, Hey, so and people are just super friendly, uh, at Wrigley. And so they're asking me, Hey, so where are you from? And I'm with a buddy of mine and I'm like, Oh, I'm from Miami. And people start getting going, going like they said, what you're from Miami. And they're, they're, they're now they're remembering back that my, you know, where I'm from, you know, my team had, had wiped them out, you know, whatever, what they think. I'm from Boston originally, but they, we didn't want to talk about that. So they, they start. The, the only thing that was good is that Cubs fans are usually drunk by the second inning. So by the time they, you know, they start forgetting, you know, like they, they get upset and they're like, where are you from again? I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, cool, man. Cool. Glad, glad to have you here. Um, but man, I felt like David hanging out with, in Gath with Goliath's sword. And you can imagine, you like, Hey, isn't that Goliath's sword? Yeah, but he didn't need it after I killed him and cut off his head. Uh, oh, you know, and so it's a weird thing. So, so, this, so what happens is, and you can read this later, but what happens is the king of Gath finds out, his name is Achish, Achish finds out that David is in his town. And he starts to think that this isn't such a good idea. David does, like, okay, I ran from Israel because Saul's trying, the king of Israel is trying to kill me. Now I went to, to Gath. Philistine country when I just killed their champion. Now the king of Gath wants to kill me. So what do you do when you're kind of a man without a country and the two kings are trying to kill you? Well, you might do what David did. Let me have you read this part. It says, so David changed his behavior before them and pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate, let his saliva fall down on his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, look, you see, this man is insane. Uh, why have you brought him before me? Have I need of madmen that you bring this fellow before me to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? 
So he pulls the old pretend you're completely insane trick. Uh, which, you know, and now this is one of those things. Someday, my friends, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to request this, this video. I don't know if it's going to be on video. I don't know if it's going to be Betamax. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be Blu-ray, high def, 3D, whatever. But anyway, I'm going to put that on and I'm going to watch. Because this to me is like one of the most hilarious stories in all the Bible. Is watching this guy pretend to be insane. And you can imagine, he's like drooling, he's scratching the walls, he's saying crazy stuff. I love bacon. You know, like, whoa, you're Jewish, dude. People don't say that around here. Two plus two equals a pickle. Whoa, what's that? You know, I, I'm, I'm a grown man, but I want to go to Disney World and take a picture with the characters. Okay, now we know he's nuts. You know, that's how you know people are nuts. It's when grown adults stand in line for an hour to take pictures with, with characters. I mean, that's just, I, I, that's a message for another time. I'm going to talk about that someday. And uh, we're going to help people out who have that problem. All right? We're going to work on that. So in the midst of this scene, now, here's the thing that's important, is that in the midst of this scene, David is a man without a country. He's got to pretend to be insane to escape with his life. And it's in this scene that he begins to write a psalm about how good God is. And it's like, well, hold on. Now, why, why do that? And here's what I think the wisdom of this psalm is, is that you don't have to remember how good God is when things are going well. All you got to do is look around because things are going really well. But it's when one group of people wants to kill you and the other group of people thinks you're nuts that you've got to be reminded of how good God is. And listen, God is so good that I love what he says in verse 8. He says, oh, he begins and he says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Like that's his declaration. I am going to praise the Lord at all times whether it's good or whether it's bad. And then, here's how he's able to do that. He goes to verse 8 and he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, if I can just ask a question. Um, how many of you are parents? And I need to ask this just for the sake of solidarity. Okay, great, a lot of us. Um, how many of you have ever been, like, you ever try to get your kids to try something that you know they're going to like, but they just outright refuse? There should be something in the Bible about that. That has got to be one of the five most frustrating things about life is that you're trying to get them. I remember trying to get my daughter Mia to taste honey mustard dressing. I'm not trying to get her to taste like liver. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to get her to taste things like caldo gallego. You know what I mean? If you don't speak Spanish and you don't know about that, consider yourself blessed. Because uh, that is just some nasty business right there. All right? And, uh, but, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to get them to taste honey mustard dressing. I would bathe in that stuff if I could. That's delicious. I've made a rule in life. I love honey mustard. I've made it a rule in life. I don't trust anyone who doesn't like honey mustard dressing because it tells me their discernment is off. And so, so I'm trying to get me up forever to try honey mustard dressing. No, I don't like it. I don't want that. I like ketchup. I'm like, listen, this is like a million times better than ketchup. And so anyway, one day she's eating chicken and... It, her, her chicken like accidentally falls into the honey mustard. She's not paying attention. She tastes it and she's like, ooh, that's good. What's that? That's honey mustard! We're trying to get you to eat there for six months! Oh, can I have yours? You know, you don't notice that that happens. And, uh, and so then my son Xander, I thought, now this I could, I thought between Mia and I, we could create a, a small coalition and help and get Xander to just try it. And then Xander's giving me a hard time until finally he agrees 
because I had to lay out. Because, you know, the thing is you use, you use logic. Please try it. You're going to like it. Please try it. Haven't I had you try things that are good? Remember when you tried a Dorito? That was all me. Your mom said not to do it, and I let you try it, didn't I? Sun-kissed? That was me. Okay? And so you're laying all this stuff out. Like, listen, you've got to trust me on this one. Our taste buds are in sync. Okay? And then, so he finally tries it. And then, now he loves honey mustard. And so we go out to lunch this, this past week. And uh, now, let me just tell you something. If I can just sidebar for a minute. Like in the Olympics, there's all these dumb things. Now I know that's, it's wrong to say, but they're dumb. We all know they're dumb. We just don't want to say it. You know, like javelin. I can throw a little spike 100 yards. Big deal. You want to know what should be an Olympic event? A husband and a wife trying to have a conversation while their three kids don't cut off one of their limbs uh, with food. That, thank you, that should be a, an, Olympic, uh, an Olympic event. Anyway, so my wife and I are trying to have this conversation. We're at lunch the other day, and we, you know, the kids are there with us, and they're doing whatever it is they do. And, and I look over, and Xander has taken his straw out of his drink, and he's put it into his honey mustard dressing. And so my wife is like, Bob, stop this. And I, and I look over and, and I just say, uh, I say, buddy, you've done what I've always dreamed of doing. But I feared, I feared the social stigma associated with drinking your dressing. Way to go. And uh, so anyway, but, but here's the thing, right? Once you've tasted something, and you know that it's good. You don't forget what it tastes like, right? Right? I mean, you just, once you taste it and it's good, you're like, you know it's good. And you can always go back to it because it's good, right? And that's the thing that happens where, uh, you know, like people this week, you know, Twinkies came back, right? Twinkies came back like a week ago. So look how quiet the room got. It's like, I love them, but I don't want to say anything. I don't want people to judge me. Uh, and anyway, that's so weird. Anyway, but I, I know like, they sell like a billion Twinkies a, a year. So anyway, I'm just going to go ahead and say like 90% of you like them. The other 10% are lying. Okay. Thank you. And so anyway, but what happens is that, but I'm telling you, I, I, I talk to people and they're like, you know, I'm going to the supermarket today because I'm going to get a box of Twinkies because I, you know, I forgot, I forgot what they taste like. I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You know that that's delicious. That's why, you do, that's why you're going to try them. Just admit that you like them. No, no, no. I just, I, I don't remember. And so I want to try them. Listen. Now, Twinkies came back. I got nervous. You know why? My wife said this to me. She goes, you know, Bob, I've noticed something. She said, what? She said, Twinkies went out of business. And then you lost 50 pounds. And now they're back. And now I am nervous. And so, there, anyway. So there's this thing. But. There's, once you have tasted something good, you don't, you don't forget it. That's why the Bible says this uh, in Psalm 119. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. It's not just that God is good. It's that he's good and then he does good. Right? Because when you taste something good, you always want to go back to it. Right? All of us, we, you, always have, you have a favorite restaurant or whatever restaurant you like. There's that thing that you get. I don't understand people who go to a restaurant and order different things. What's wrong with those people? I go to the restaurant because there's the one thing that I settled on. I went, I got one thing like the first two times so I could find my thing. And now if they don't have my thing, I just leave. It's like, that's all. Your menu could just have one thing. That's all I need. And so, and then you ever have these people that they try to actually like, oh, I know you like that. And so come over my, my house for dinner and then I'll make it for you. Oh, that never ends well. 
It's like, oh, well, you know, I know you like the steak, Diane, from Cheesecake Factory. So I, I found the recipe online from a disgruntled employee that he leaked it. And so, yeah, because that seems like a credible source. And so, um, so then they, I made it for you, and it's so good. And you take a bite. Steak, Diane, this tastes like wet dog. And, uh, but anyway, but here's the point, right? Once you've tasted the real thing, you can't go back to imitation. You can't go back to something less. And David is looking on, and he's saying, listen, I've seen, I've seen God do so much work in my life. I should be dead because Saul's trying to kill me. The king of Gath wants to kill me. And here I am. I'm still here. You know why? Because God has anointed me. Let me tell you something. This is so huge. If you're still here, that means God's not done with you. If you're still here, God has anointed you and called you to do great things. And until those things are accomplished, he still has plans for you. And so even when things aren't going well, We can still praise him for that. And at the beginning of Psalm, I will praise the Lord at all times. I'm going to praise him at all times because if I'm still here, then I know God is still good. I know he still does good and he's still not done with me because there is more that he wants to do in me because I've tasted of him. I've seen that is good. And he says, blessed are those who trust in him. Look at what he says in verse nine as we continue. He says, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. If you pause there and give me your attention. Now, here's the second thing that I want to share with you. And that is this. The first thing I shared that I wanted to remind you of is to remind you that God is good. The second thing I want to remind you of is that God will give you everything you need. Everything you need. Notice I didn't say everything you want. God's promise is to meet all of our needs, not all of our greeds. But let's be honest, and this is an important thing for us to note, is that sometimes God meets our needs in ways we don't actually want. And sometimes we'll say, God, uh, you know, I'm praying that you send me some money. And he gives you a job. (laughs) Time out, Lord. I wanted money. A job. What am I supposed to do with that? Well, I'm pretty sure one leads to the other. Let's walk through that door, see what happens. And then sometimes, like, uh, I, I, you know, you, you pray for, sometimes guys, they're praying for God. God, send me a woman so I can marry her. And God sends them a treadmill. <laughs> God, I asked for a woman, not exercise equipment. And God is saying, I know, but if you don't use the treadmill, you're never going to get the woman. So that's just a uh, little friendly advice. But here's what the Bible says. It says, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes we miss out on the provision of God because it doesn't look like what we thought it would be. I think of a guy like Moses who was told that he was going to rescue the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he's like, hold on, God, me? I mean, I don't, he, I don't have power. I don't have an army. I don't have an in- influence. I don't have resources. How am I supposed to do that? I'm one man. And here's what God says to him. It's in your notes in Exodus chapter 4. It says, then Moses said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. And so the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. 
And he said, cast it on the ground. And so he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. See, my friends, here's my question to you. What's in your hand? David had a slingshot and five stones and he killed a giant. A little boy had five little pieces of bread and two sardines and he gave it to Jesus and Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with it. Sometimes, listen, we've got to stop limiting what God can do in our lives and start believing what the Bible says about us. Let me say it again, just in in case uh, you missed it, that we've got to stop limiting what God can do in our lives and start believing what the Bible says about us. You know what the Bible says about us? It says that we're overcomers. It says that we're victorious in Christ. It says that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. It says that if God is for us, then who can be against us? The Bible says this. I put this one in your notes. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My friends, we've got to open our ears and open our eyes to the work of God around us. And by the way, the issue is not, well, I'm hoping that God will be faithful. No, no, no. God has proven himself throughout the ages that he's faithful. The question is, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to trust him enough that he's going to do his things his way? Now, let me explain what I mean by that. In verse 11, uh, pardon me, in verse 10, he says, the young lions suffer, uh, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now, let me define that if I can, because sometimes, you know, we'll, be, we'll, we'll say, so how's it going with that thing? Well, you know, I'm seeking the Lord. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, I was driving, and I was, came to a stoplight, and then I prayed. And then after I prayed, well, you know, that was it. Now I'm seeking the Lord. And, and what it becomes is that seeking the Lord is code for I prayed once, and now uh, I'm sitting on my hands, you know, waiting for something, uh, waiting for something to happen. And so, you know, whenever I ask, hey, how's that job coming, that job hunt going? Well, you know, I'm just seeking the Lord. Okay, so that's code for like you're sleeping until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, like, no, God, here's what I, what I would say. God wants to partner with us. Seeking the Lord is not spiritual code for being lazy. It's a call to live God's way, to walk in his steps. It's us doing our part so that God can do his part. Let me, uh, let me read you this passage that is so huge. This is actually from the message translation. It says this in Proverbs 6. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. You know, the Bible calls you lazy bones. You got to stand up straight. Like, okay, what's going on there? Um, Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. You see, when one of the things that will happen in our lives as we say, hey, I'm seeking the Lord, that means I'm, I'm going to do life the way God wants me to do it. I'm going to take the steps God wants me to take. And if I will do what I'm supposed to do, then God will do all the things that I couldn't possibly do. But it takes me taking some steps in God's direction, saying, God, I'm going to do the things that I know to do so that you can do the stuff that I haven't even seen yet. So you can do the stuff that I have absolutely no control over. Uh, a few years ago, uh, this is in our old house, we had, 
like, you know, like in, uh, when it really starts raining hard over the summer, you get these, like the ants start coming in. So we had kind of a little bit of an ant problem in our kitchen and we had to get like those little, uh, those little like tarot baits that they sell at, at home, uh, Lowe's or whatever. And so you put those out. I personally like those the best because the ants think that they're getting like delicious nutrients. Little do they know I'm destroying their entire empire and their, their little network. And then I see them, they go, they eat all the stuff and then they take it. Yes, take it back to the hive. And then they spread it to all their friends and it kills them all. And somewhere in the background, I'm laughing. Anyway, I probably take this stuff a little too seriously. Um, but anyway, so we had this, um, we had this little ant situation. And one night uh, when we still had the ant situation, I had to get my daughter a little bit of medicine uh, one evening. And so I get the medicine and one drop falls on the counter. And I put the bottle on. I said, I'm going to clean that when I get back. I, I give my daughter uh, the medicine. I come back. And those, before I could even clean it up, those ants were having a feast on my counter. And by the way, in case you were in- interested, Benadryl does not slow those ants down. It only invigorates them and it empowers them. So it has the opposite effect. Uh, but here, the, the thing is this, is that the ants weren't waiting around. The ants were action-oriented, and that's what makes them successful bugs. They, they don't, they're not waiting for the captain ant to tell them what to do. Instead, they are taking action, because here's what an ant knows. It lives with this one idea. Winter is coming. Now, the ants don't know they live in Florida, because the winter's not really coming. But, you know, in their mind, their program, like, winter is coming, and so they're doing everything they can, because winter is coming. And they are frantic. You ever see those ants? They're crazy. They don't even know which direction they're going in. I got to find them. Winter is coming. They're going crazy because winter is coming. And so, and, and the whole thing, the, the, these guys are the, big, the best self-starters in the world, right? I mean, they are moving it because they know. And listen, if you want to be successful in anything, you got to be motivated enough to get going without somebody else pushing you. That's why, you know, Proverbs chapter 10 says this. It says, lazy hands makes a, poor, makes a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. I was talking to a guy a while ago. He, asked, he came up after service and he asked me to pray for him and said he had lost his job. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so hard, sorry to hear that. It's like a downsizing thing or whatever. And, and he's like, no, man, it wasn't even my fault. I'm so upset. I'm like, what happened? He's like, I got fired because I overslept and, you know, because my mom didn't wake me up and, rewind for a second did you say you got fired because your mommy didn't wake you up yeah i mean it wasn't my fault she's supposed to wake me up but my mom didn't wake me up i can't help you i cannot help you goodbye i no, i didn't say that i wanted to say that but i didn't and, and i said so um so what are you doing now well i'm here talking to you Okay, so what are you doing about maybe getting another job? Well, I'm asking you to pray for me. Okay, and what are we doing after that? I don't know, but I'll probably be back next week asking you to pray for me. <laughs> at this rate, we'll be talking every week. Uh, at the, you know, and, and, I, and so, so he's like, you know, well, pray that I, I find a job. And, you know, and I'm like, well, how about we step back? How about we pray that you actually become a man and that you don't need your mom to, to wake you up? Doesn't your phone have an alarm? I mean, come on. Step into the 21st century. Anyway, uh, that was, it was, uh, it was bad. 
He's no longer with us. No, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. Uh, but here's the thing. Like, successful people in any area of life, in any area of life, they take responsibility and they get moving. They, you know, people who say, man, I want to advance in my career. You know what they do? They don't sit on their hands. They say, what are the skills that I need? How do I get to the next level? They're talking to people. They're asking questions. They're learning what training they need. They're getting the experience they need to do it. Well, people who want to fix their marriages, here's what they do. They figure out what the problem is. They go to counseling. They talk to someone. They talk to their spouse. They identify it. We got problems with our kids. Well, what's the problem? What's going on? How can we fix it? Let's get some, someone to come in and speak into our lives to help us. But listen, we've got to live our lives with a tendency towards action. And one of the things that, that happens is that uh, we just say, well, I'm just seeking the Lord. And we just think that that means to do nothing. And I'm telling you, your life will change when you decide, what does God speak about in this situation in my life? I'm going to do it. Because I'm going to do what I know to do. And then I know if I can do that, and I start taking steps the way God wants me to take steps, then he, in turn, will begin to do things that I couldn't even dream of. Because he wants to partner with us. Listen, because God, I firmly believe this with all of my heart, that God wants to bless us. Listen, I love my kids so much. And, my, and I've told you this in the past, my joy in life is to bless them. And, and, if, and if I love my kids enough to bless them, then why wouldn't I think that God would want to bless his kids? But listen, we've got to live in such a way so that God can bless us. That we're, because why? Because, you know, a moving car is easier to steer. You start taking steps the way God wants you to do, and you're going to see God open doors that you never even dreamed of. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 10, if the axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. Skill will bring success. Well, here's the last section that he talks about in, uh, in verse 17. He says, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones. None of them, not one of them is broken. And evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and, not, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Here's the last thing I want to I tell you from this psalm. That is this, number three, that God is going to bring victory into your life. God's desire is to bring victory into your life. You know why? Now, let me be the one that, uh, I don't want to be the one to share the bad news, but life is tough. I have an 18-month-old daughter who's just learning that. Uh, she's learning that life is tough because sometimes you can't reach things. Sometimes you can't walk fast enough to escape your parents when you're holding a package of razors. You know, it just, you can't, you, sometimes you just, you just can't get there. But listen, if we're older than that, at some point in our lives, we learned that there are, that listen, many are the afflictions of the righteous. What we read in verse 19, we realize that, that there are pro problems associated with life. And most of the time, what we want is we want our lives to be essentially the second half of that verse. It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And many times we're like, well, I want that part. The Lord delivers them from them all. But can we be realistic that you've got to have something to be delivered from? Right? Well, I want God to deliver me, but things are good. Well, then you're not really need anything to be delivered from. But if you're really living the way God wants you to live, there's probably going to be some things you need to be delivered from. The Bible says this in 2 Timothy. It says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
Listen, if you're going to live for God in this world, don't be surprised when all hell breaks loose. That's the way it, that's the way it goes. But the promise that we have is that if, if we do live his way, yeah, all hell may break loose, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but that God will give us the victory because he delivers us from them all. And if that's the case, why not live in such a way that you start praising God for that victory now? You start praising God for the work that he's going to do in your life now, even when you don't see it. In the book of Acts, chapter 16, Paul and Silas are on a missionary journey. And uh, they get to this area in, uh, in, in Macedonia, and they meet this girl who is demon-possessed. And she's saying all this stuff uh, about Paul and about Silas. And then uh, he actually, Paul prays for her. The demon comes out, and she's totally healed and well. Well, the people that were controlling her and making money off of her little predictions and whatnot, uh, they were upset because now they couldn't make any money off of her anymore. Well, they told the authorities. The authorities had Paul and Silas beaten and then thrown into prison. And you might think that Paul and Silas, they get thrown into prison for doing a good thing. And that they'd be like, God, you know, is this how you repay us for preaching the gospel? You know, we've like left everything. It's not like smooth sailing here, traveling across the world in the first century. You know, it's no fun. And this is what we get. We get thrown into prison for helping a girl out. You know, that's not what they say. Here's what Paul says. Uh, Here's what the story tells us about the two of them. It says this, and it's in your notes. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. You want to know why Paul and Silas were able to sing in the midst of their affliction? Because at the beginning of Acts chapter 16, there's, uh, it tells us that Paul gets a vision from this man in Macedonia that says, come help us. They get to Macedonia, they see this girl, they heal her, they get thrown in prison. And so they're singing songs. But you know why? Because he's saying, God has given me a vision of what I'm supposed to do, and I haven't been able to do it yet. Which means that the circumstance I find myself in is not final. And so Paul is singing and rejoicing because he knows that God still has a vision for him. And until that vision is fulfilled, he's not done. And he's thinking, listen, you can hit me. You can imprison me. You can beat me. But it's not over. Because God is not going to let me leave because I still have a vision from him that I'm yet to fulfill. And until I fulfill that vision, I'm still going to be here. And listen, that means in your life, if God has given you a vision in your life that God isn't done with you. He isn't done with you because if you've still got a vision in your eyes, then you can still have a song in your heart regardless of the situation that you're in. See, circumstances may be giving you the beating of your life, and I don't doubt that. But as long as you've got a vision from God, it's not over. Yes, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but I'm so grateful that the sentence does not end there. It says, but the Lord delivers them from them all. David was in a tough circumstance, running from Saul who's trying to kill him, acting like a lunatic to escape this other guy but he's holding on to the vision that God gave him, the vision that someday he was going to be king and that this wasn't going to be the end because if this was going to be the end, then God would not have given him the vision.
that he had someday was going to be king. And so he looks on and he says, man, this is a troubling spot, but I'm going to praise the Lord at all times because, yeah, many of the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers us from all of them. So my friends, my encouragement to you, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't call it quits. Remember the vision that God has given you. And rejoice that no matter what happens, that God is with you. The trouble you're experiencing won't last forever. Because, yeah, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And here's the hard part. You might be in the part of the story that's the afflictions of the righteous part. And you haven't seen the deliverance that comes from God happen yet in your life. My encouragement to you is to start praising God now. Start giving God thanks now. Start preparing your heart for the deliverance that God is going to bring. And he even shares that in verse 20, where he says this, that we might just kind of read through that and not think it has significance, but it does. He says, he guards all his bones and not one of them is broken. Have you noticed that David has been speaking in the, 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 the plural, uh, that it's, you know, about all of the believers. And then he says, uh, he, he guards all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. It's because this verse is a prophecy about Jesus. You see, in the, in the Roman world, when a person was crucified, they would put them on a cross and they would bend their legs slightly. And what would happen is after they were beaten, then they would just pull themselves up. And as they pulled themselves up, that would be the only way that they could draw breath. So, But then when the Roman soldiers wanted to hasten their death, they would break their knees so they wouldn't be able to pull themselves up. And essentially, people who were crucified died of asphyxiation because they just they weren't able to lift themselves up, to pull up their, their upper body so that they could take in breath. And what happens is that um, that's what happened when Jesus was crucified to the other two. And let me read you the verse. It's in your notes. It says, then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him, with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done so that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Here's my point. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. Jesus was crucified. But his death was not final. Resurrection was coming three days later. And that is true for you as well. The reality is, is that if you still have a vision from God, then God is not done with you. And that stumbling block in your life that you can't seem to get over right now, that affliction in your life, that is the thing that God is going to use. That stumbling block is going to become the stepping stone in your life for God to take you where he wants to take you so he can do in your life what he wants to do. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you don't leave us as we are, but instead, Lord, we recognize, yes, many are the afflictions of the righteous life is tough but you deliver us from them all and teach us that you are good and that you do good and so lord our prayer is that you would do good in this very moment that there are those lord who are far from you some who don't know you 
some God that know you but just don't have a vision for their life at this moment. And God, I pray that you would reveal that to them at this time. That in these closing moments that we would just see you do an amazing work in this place. In Jesus' name.